0: Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome to our final episode of the Resilience series on the In Awe Podcast. I am bringing to you a very special guest with a powerful story that inspires me deeply, and I know it will amaze you, too. Dawn Myers is the school counselor at Spooner High School in northwestern Wisconsin. Dawn earned her Bachelor of Science in Psychology from the University of Wisconsin-Superior and her Master of Arts in Educational Psychology, Counseling, and Student Personnel Psychology from University of Minnesota-Twin Cities. She impacted lives at JFK High School in Bloomington, Minnesota, and for 12 years at Egan High School in Egan, Minnesota, before she and her husband decided to move their family back to northern Wisconsin to raise their children and make an impact where her roots grew deep. Dawn enjoys swimming, reading, playing card and board games with family in her free time. In this episode, Dawn shares how she was able to answer the call on her life to a career assisting students to develop their toolbox, enhanced by her own life experiences. As if growing up with high instances of adverse childhood experiences were not enough, Dawn also shares her incredible story as a survivor of suicide loss, taking over guardianship of her addicted adolescent brother, and how she came through the terrible grief of losing a brother killed in action in Iraq. I had the gift of witnessing Dawn's faithful and fearless leadership on the daily when we worked together and I'm excited to re-gift her story for you today, knowing its amplification is absolutely meant to be. Her story shows us how we too can reach out in times of grief and learn to purpose our own pain to help others. I have long been in awe of Dawn's story, and I know for a fact that you will be too. Don, I am so excited to have you on the In Awe podcast. Welcome to the show. And uh, for the listeners, I want to let you know that Don and I are face to face in the same room today, which is really exciting. (laughs) Yes. We're doing a series on resilience. For the listeners, one thing that is important for you to know is that Dawn and I have worked together. So I have been able to watch her in her glory and her calling. And today you are in for a treat because you are going to hear a story of a woman who has risen from significant circumstances into a calling that impacts many. So without further ado, Dawn, would
1: you give your current context to our listeners? Thank you so much for asking me to be part of this. I am excited to assist and and share and just so proud of you. I am currently a high school counselor at Spooner High School in Spooner, Wisconsin. Um, so working with ninth through 12th graders, there's both 360 of them and all as children are various stages and, and growth and development and all the different areas. So really working with them on whatever it is they need to do. So
0: because our listeners are going to be varied, some of them are going gonna to have educational background and some aren't. You said that you work with about 360 students. You are the only counselor. Yes. All right. And so a counselor's job is maybe different. In today's world, than it has been. And I would say, probably, even in the last decade, it's transitioned. Yes. Would you share just some of the primary things that you do, the tasks that you have for the teenagers that you work with?
1: Absolutely. Um, I work with students for sure to help them with their academic success, making sure that they're passing their classes, hitting their graduation requirements, moving forward in that. Um, Certainly, there's still that career piece that i think everyone thinks of when they think of a high school counselor um and absolutely i work hard to help them find the right school and re- you know the right careers and so really helping that develop and that progresses we talk about it in ninth grade and they think i'm ridiculous for bringing it up and then by senior year they're going i can't believe i'm done already so we work on the college and career readiness portion quite a bit throughout um, the majority of my day though really is spent the mental health pieces with our adolescents um you know they're in school and they're having anxiety and so working through that and helping build their toolbox to so that they know how to handle all these just different stresses that they have Mm -hmm. in all of their areas of learning really
0: So when you say build their toolbox, one of the things that I'm doing right now is flashing back to all of the awesome times that I had working alongside you, Don, and seeing that real intentional focus on helping students build their toolbox. And one of the reasons I wanted to feature you on the In Awe podcast and knowing that there are people out there that would benefit from your story is understanding that you have a background um, that is one where you needed your own toolbox built. Mm -hmm. And so would you be able to just share with the listeners some things about you that um, would help us know why you would be
1: featured here on the Resilience Series? Absolutely, yes. I grew up in Superior, Wisconsin, and um, really my parents divorced when I was two, I believe. And so had my mom and my dad both in superior. And so, you know, really both a part of raising me, but primarily lived with my mom. And she now, of course, looking back now, I know she struggled with depression my whole life, but you know, growing up, you don't know that. I don't know that anything's different than anywhere else. We struggled, we moved. I have gone to nine different schools in my, from kindergarten to 12th grade. Um, so certainly I understand that transition piece, the moving and, you know, we always rented. And so we just, moved around and um, switched schools quite a bit. So I was able to figure out, okay, making new friends and starting over. Um, My mom was interesting in the fact she was so loving and cared for me, but she was so young and You know she always said we grew up together and you know really raised one another and and i think that's a now as an adult i think that's probably a valid statement as i know that in eighth grade some things had happened my mom was in a terrible marriage abusive relationship and um we had gone to go see to try to get help and had gone to the county to get help and They said, you know, when the office is closed, come back tomorrow. And so I wrote in my diary in eighth grade, I'm going to be a counselor or social worker so that I can help people when they need help. Hmm. And, um, of course, went about the rest of growing up and, and, of course, continued to live in this trauma. You know, now, again, I have all these words and I know all these things, but as a child, didn't. Didn't know that and really had a great childhood. Lots of fun, lots of friends, lots of love, really. Hmm. But of course, struggles and and challenges that maybe I shouldn't have had to overcome mm-hmm. at, at such a young age. But um, then in 10th grade, I no in yeah, in 10th grade, we wrote an autobiography and I wrote in that autobiography at that point, I already knew I wanted to be a counselor. And I am quite sure that if I could think back to that 10th grade girl, I just knew that I got things that other kids were going through. I was, you know, really, I could see my friends and I could relate to the different challenges that they had. And so, of course, I thought maybe I would be a school counselor or maybe I'd be a community counselor I didn't know Mm -hmm. and but growing up then it's always kind of been there that I was going to do something because and I think it does help that I have been through some things and and not that people who haven't aren't good counselors because they are but I just get some of the different struggles on a more personal level.
0: So you built up your empathy pretty early. It sounds like you may have always had that level of Mm -hmm. understanding for your peers. And yet then you were able to turn it into a career, a path to provide some services. But it was a trajectory that you pretty much had set when you were 16, it sounds like, roughly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So I have the benefit of knowing some other things. You know, you've shared a little bit about having a youthful mother, but what are the other struggles that you would say might not be common to the majority of the
1: world you know the working
0: professional mm-hmm. world
1: there's all kinds of studies and research of course that are out there that, that speak about how obstacles that children face impact them negatively and yeah. and really change the way our brains work and for years anytime I would ever tell my story people would say wow but how come you turned out so healthy and was uh, <laughs> relative right um, <laughs> But the childhood things, you know the, these researchers have researched. They've said that the there's ten big ones that impact and change our brains and change the way that we we develop. And I've experienced seven of those ten. yeah, and um
0: can I hold you here for a second? Uh-huh. So for those of you, of course, we're referencing aces, right? So do you want to share for the listeners what that stands for?
1: Adverse childhood experiences is the terminology. Um, And of course, children experience all kinds of different adverse obstacles traumas but the researchers have narrowed it down to these 10 are the 10 they've
0: been able to come up with maybe 10 categories yes so when you say you've had a like we call this an aces score of uh-huh. seven yes. right so yes. out of 10 mm-hmm. what does that look like can you unpack that a little bit for the listeners for a for a person to get their aces score what are they looking at
1: yes um Divorce is is a big one. Um, you know, witnessing any sort of physical or emotional abuse is definitely one of them. Um, sexual abuse is.
0: Is grief and loss involved? Yes, I would assume the death of a. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about this, one thing that when I understood when I went through some of that training with Aces is that a lot of us have. You know, we have mm-hmm. some of those factors. Many, I, when you look at the divorce rate in the United States, if we have a 50% divorce rate, we know that many of us are going to have that on our ACEs score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at this, um, what is the average? I mean, most of us could expect that we would have some adverse childhood experiences. Yes. So
1: yeah. like two to three? Yeah, okay. I would say one or two. Um, uh, the trouble is most people, if you have one, you've got a couple because sure. maybe... Because um, alcoholism and, and drug use is a part of that. You know, so a lot of times those lead to di- a divorce. And, you know, so all of these things sure. can lead to more. Okay.
0: So yours is a higher score. You've got yes. seven. And we yeah. don't need to get too personal here. But one um, factor about that is we talk about in education that if you have a high ACES score... <laughs> you have to have a high ability to be resilient. Yes. So can you speak to that
1: a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, That's when I remember I was in a early childhood class with Zachary, my firstborn and they had, someone had said, you know, how come you aren't following in those situations? And, and, you know, I really changed the trajectory of my life and, you know what happened and i was i couldn't put my foot, finger on it and this was 12 years ago mm-hmm. there hadn't well there maybe was this research i didn't know it um and i said you know i was really loved mm. and that's all i could say like that i don't know but i know that i was really loved so as terrible as all these things that have happened to me and all of these different situations we've been in but mm-hmm. i never doubted that i was loved I I had all kinds of adults in my life my parents loved me my aunts and my uncles my friends parents all of these Mm. human beings loved me and I never ever worried or felt Mm. unloved and so I that was just my two second answer but it stuck with me obviously I still remember well now of course we've learned (laughs) about resiliency and um there's 14 resilience protective factors is what they're called and they are things like my parents loved me um somebody in my family cared about how I was doing in school and as a youth people noticed that I was capable and could get things done you know so all of these things where people were pouring belief into me My resilience score is 11 out of 14. Okay. So also incredibly high. So I've got a high Mm -hmm. aces and I also have a high resilience score. And I, my younger brother is 12 years younger than me and... Lived with this was raised by the same mom. Well, of course, 12 years later, she struggled even more than she did when I was young. Mm -hmm. She was harder to love and she was harder to be around and he didn't have as many other adults. Pouring into him and loving him and taking care of him. And he became harder to love and pushed people away too. Mm. And so his ACEs score is either the same or more than one more than mine. And I know for a fact his resilience score is not nearly as high as mine because he doesn't have all of those same things that I had from the people around
0: me. So you're able to see almost your family as this almost as a case study here with that research that you're doing for your own job and such gold right here for our listeners, because whether you're in education or not, this impacts all of us. It's our own stories, but then it's also the people around us. And that is something that I do find really interesting because we did have Jessica Johnson on our podcast in the same series of resilience. And Mm -hmm. she spoke to this as well, that we did not talk about the research the way we're doing it today, but we talked about how she was able to end that cycle of poverty by removing herself from the family and from it. Mm -hmm. But we also, um, you know, to be respectful, we're not going to talk about, you know, her siblings as well, but understanding that Mm -hmm. this helps frame it a little better Mm -hmm. when we look at our ACEs scores versus our resilience scores Mm -hmm. to sit down and realize that we don't all have the same life conditions, though we have the same set of parents, maybe we don't come to the uh conditions in the same way because we're different organisms and yes. we and like I really love the fact that you pointed out my sibling was 12 years down the road where my mm-hmm. mother's situation personally had deteriorated. Mm-hmm. and I think this might be the appropriate time to ask you. Uh, Don, one of the things that I just found so incredibly helpful for Tim for me working alongside of you as somebody who's further down the road in their own journey, Don and I share um, suicide survival. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to get to your story where you unpack more for the listeners that this isn't just a childhood thing for you. Mm -hmm. You have some more significant traumas as well Mm -hmm. that impact
1: you today. So could you share a little bit about your mom and then your brothers? Absolutely. My mom completed suicide when I was 24. um, And so was grown up. I had been, no, I was 26. I apologize. Mm -hmm. Um, Darren and I had been married for two years, and but when my mom died, she left behind my 18-year-old brother and my 14-year-old brother, and so they were left parentless. Um, both of their fathers had passed away previously, and so, um, of course, the grief and the loss of my mom came at full force. And I didn't deal with it because I was busy. We got guardianship of this 14 year old boy who I've already said already had some challenges because Mm. of his circumstances. And so now he's dealing with grief and I'm dealing with grief and none of us are dealing with grief. Sure, (laughs) We're masking it and creating all these other things.
0: But But noteworthy that you're 26. Yes. And you're willing to take over guardianship. Of your 14 year old brother. Let's point that out because I was like, <laughs> one of the most challenging developmentally. Yes. We all know this. Yes. And your husband, your baby fresh husband, basically in this yes. marriage, yes. is willing to go into this with you and say, mm-hmm. let's, let's do this. Do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. That's
1: astonishing and inspiring on its own. Yes. Yes. And we, and it wasn't without its challenges, but we did it as a, together as a partnership. Um, he didn't understand addiction at all he hadn't been grown up in it and any of that and so he really approached addiction like just stop knock (laughs) it off quit using drugs logically and we all know that doesn't work with a 14 year old especially and so not
0: only are you experiencing the loss a significant loss of your mother but you're saying that you took over guardianship of a 14-year-old and your brother already had some addiction. He did. Yes. Okay.
1: Yep. Yep. And yeah. some mental health, you know, depression and mm-hmm. and such. So he um was struggling and and we and he was doing his best to try to adjust to this new lifestyle, but we had taken him to across the state lines even and <laughs> to a whole new city. Um but Darren and I worked together, we We did some work, um, of course, through treatment centers and whatnot with my brother, but had found Families Anonymous, which was an organization that we really learned to say, okay, this is his addiction, this isn't ours, and we've got to let him be in his own addiction. And not enable continue to enable that, and and so it was a process of growth and development. But it, I really believed is what kept us together and, and moving forward and well, learning as a couple.
0: I mean, parenting <laughs> is challenging anyway. Yes, and those teen years are exceptionally challenging. So you didn't even have the benefit of being the one to, you know, set the the life path. You just right. your own it. And so a lot of our listeners are going to be able to relate to that because they're foster parents or they're mm-hmm. um, parents of a. Dog adopted families. And so they're going to be able to relate to this. And I think it's really important what you said there is that you didn't try to go it alone. Mm -hmm. And you started to be able to counsel through this and release some of that. Because in our work and in my work with families, Mm -hmm. one of the hard things is that whether your child, your teenager is addicted, or whether they're experimenting, all of that, you um, there's a natural progression that we've seen in how you handle your child making those choices. And one of the things that I've seen you do is refer parents to you. have mm-hmm. You've kind of reached in in this space in this very dark and mm-hmm. uncertain time in their lives. And you've said, hey, look, mm-hmm. there is help. And so even if you're a parent listening and you're not sure there are resources. Yes. Um, so you found it through what was the
1: organization? It's Families Anonymous, so much like Alcoholics mm-hmm. Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. It's for families of and not even just drug addicts. It was, you know, any sort of behavior behavior. Mm -hmm. behaviorally challenged but it's for the parents of those children that are making destructive decisions really
0: yeah so good yeah it was wonderful for us yes so that's one piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you also mentioned your 18-year-old brother. Yes. To be willing to share with the
1: listeners. I would love to. Adam is, was 18 when our mom died, and he finished high school in Superior, but then came to live with Darren and I right in June. So we had six months where he was not with us, but then he came to live with us, and um he always wanted to be a Marine from third, when he started third grade, he wanted to be a Marine. And when he went to enlist, they said, sorry, buddy, you've got to clean up your act. Cause he had gotten, he had made bad choices too and got in trouble. And so it took him three years to, off his fines and clean up his record and that kind of thing but he eventually got to live his dream and become a united states marine he wanted to be an infantry back when there was no war he wanted to be an infantry and once there was a war he still wanted to be an infantry so that was where he ended up and what he got to do he got sent to afghan or iraq And he was killed by a roadside bomb in 2006. Well, Darren and I were the next of kin because he didn't have any living parents. And so we were his next of kin. And so we had that awful knock on the door when there were two Marines waiting to tell us that he was killed in Iraq. Um, So again, dealing with, and this was three years after my mom. So I was starting to maybe process my mom's grief um but i was six months pregnant when i got the news about adam and so again really um put my defenses up and and went into work mode and planned the funeral and did all the things and tried to help my little brother who also was now grieving his brother and Mm. so we again went into that mode of protection and and not dealing. And so again, what I found with myself is it takes me a good two years to to actually start the grieving process. Um, You know, so just kind of my stages of that, I suppose.
0: So Adam has his own story too, because three years, I mean, you're, I think you've gotten used to telling that Adam's Mm -hmm. story, and Mm -hmm. we can chat just a little bit for the Mm -hmm. listeners to hear about you know some of the beautiful things that you've been able to do in his honor, but it's three I think you said three years and then he cleaned it up and he got in but I'm thinking three years for again a a child born in the you know different Mm -hmm. conditions different moms same losses Mm -hmm. same all of that but different Mm -hmm. scenario and Mm -hmm. you know working hard to pull himself out of that and Mm -hmm. shoot for a dream and Mm -hmm. and an honorable mission but it's so hard to to have that be again Mm -hmm. another piece so Mm -hmm. how did you start grieving and come back from that um
1: my I attribute the huh I hadn't started grieving for Adam and it for Adam I now I firmly believe and I don't know if there's been research done but I I believe now like I can't ever miss Adam without missing my mom you know like now it's they're always just you grieve them both Differently, I suppose. But when I miss the one, I miss the other. You know, so it Mm. becomes this this compounded grief. I think. Yeah. Um, That journey really started. An organization um, had asked if they. It's called Tribute to the Troops, and they came to our home. There were like forty five motorcycles come barreling down our driveway, and it's just these passionate people who want to honor the families of the fallen, and they each of them stood there and waited in line and gave us a hug and looked us in the eye and said thank you we're sorry and that day this something broke inside of me that said alright there's something that people are doing to help and, uh, and I need to start dealing with this and processing that and so it was a long few months of really letting myself grieve openly and and was a process for sure.
0: Well, and again, just another trend because what I'm hearing from you is that you are able to reach out and open up to a community when the time comes instead of what is the alternative we go into our coping mechanisms and we numb Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we go into the pain or we ignore the pain but it it catches up and that's the hard work that's the hard stuff but that's what builds that resilience is being able to face it to Mm -hmm. name it to reach out to get Mm -hmm. that love again and support from a new community that understands it again, because you've had these varied experiences that just, you know, most of Mm -hmm. us could handle one of those and Mm -hmm. yet here they're stacked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't help, but really be in awe of your story just because of the fact that you are in a profession where you don't just punch a clock and look at numbers all day. You are working with families and souls. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get that, pain smacked right back in your face. Mm -hmm. And I know that from experience Mm -hmm. and have spent Mm -hmm. some time reading on this idea of secondary trauma, Mm -hmm. where we're taking on that pain of the people we work with. And Mm so what (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's for those listening is that when you have your own pain, how do you, you know, you put it aside or you, you listen to somebody's story of suicide loss or Mm -hmm. um, mental health challenges or the drug addiction, how is it that you go about
1: moving past that? I have built strong enough relationships, especially with our students, that when something is sad or, and if I feel sad with them, I'm sad with them and I tell them that I am sad too. And this is why, um, I feel like over the years, this is my 20th year working in this world. um, I have been able to not take home their pain and their. I'm really good about not owning it or making it mine and taking it home. And I don't. There wasn't a trick or a, <laughs> a lever I shut off. Yeah. Um, have I called Darren before and said, Can I bring you home a 10th grader? <laughs> nope, nope, you're not. Just, <laughs> you know. So I've, I have, you know, yes. certainly there's always students that I have done more internalizing, but I really have been able to compartmentalize that. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the right word, but able to utilize a different source of strength and then do I go home and cry to my best friend and yeah, absolutely but I again I use those that toolbox of yeah and it's for me it's people it's humans it's mm-hmm. I need that connection I need to process out loud and tell you every single bad thing that ever happened to me and then but I don't want you to fix it <laughs> so, I don't want you to fix it I don't want you to fix it because let me tell you everything yes. yeah
0: so wonderful so you've learned that about yeah. yourself over time that's mm-hmm. really good yeah i have never promised that the in a podcast was going to be about tips and tricks and strategies and research but you've <laughs> given us basically so much of that today mm-hmm. just through your own professionalism and your work so mm-hmm. that's wonderful mm-hmm. and i know that this story was meant to hit people. And it hits me all the time when I think about you, Mm Don, And I think about the beautiful message that you give every day that you can come out of this. You're working with kids and they're in some of the darkest drudgery Mm -hmm. of their lives. We were all there as teenagers. You're also working with um, adults sometimes and you know you were a walking example of how you can you can get through you know pretty much anything and i know i'll, I'll say it that you're a part of this is your faith and
1: yeah. i don't know if you want to share that at all mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. feel free yeah absolutely um well i'm the counselor so i could fix things and i just thought that i needed to fix things for people and and so i didn't have a real strong faith growing up you know i re i Honestly, thought that my brother moving in with me and my husband in this wonderful marriage were going to fix him. <laughs> oh, no, that's not the right word, but we're, he would be helped, and it would be good enough. And yeah. when it wasn't, and. When my mom is dead and I don't know how to live without her, I can't fix it. And so that's when I really found, like, oh, it's not up to me. There's more out there. I am not enough and I don't have to be enough. I just need to ask for help and relying on that faith that's been absolutely a a marriage saver, a lifesaver for her. Beautiful.
0: Well, We could probably talk forever (laughs) knowing that, but I also have to respect the time limit here, but I did want to ask you two questions. So you have such a a dynamic and interesting uh, history, but I would say if you were able to write a letter and this question, by the way, is inspired by Nicole Norderman's dear me. And so just (laughs) if you had a chance to write a letter to yourself at any age or
1: stage, what would you say? And why? i been blessed enough to been able to do this because I've had two or three students who I've even said to them you are mini me (laughs) it's creepy and (laughs) weird but you are me at that age so I've been able to pour some of that into other people but I knew it was really probably what I would have Mm. said to myself but it's things like just keep going. I am famous for telling my students, school is your ticket. This is your ticket to create whatever life you want to create. And so you keep working and doing your best. Doesn't have to be A's, but this is your ticket out of here and into whatever it is you want to do and wherever you want to go. And I know for me, that was the case I worked and did my best dish
0: (laughs) (laughs) nobody nobody requests her transcripts right
1: (laughs) but I knew then that I could go and and you know I needed to leave town and get it degree and yeah
0: yeah it, it means something too because so many of us you know we take that for granted we take for granted that you have to especially in the United States you have mm-hmm. to go to school but yeah. you bring that authenticity to that message mm-hmm. when you say this is mm-hmm. it this is the ticket it's the right. it's the thing that's going to get you launched to the next thing right. and this isn't your forever
1: right so I get to make fun. a choice for the first time in my whole life and that's what's fun about working with those students and it's hard on them they never get to choose anything and then now they have to choose and but right they get to choose and I got to choose yes and so I chose
0: great choices yeah okay so one more question and you may not see yourself this way you are absolutely an influential woman ah. <laughs> I, I found that question kind of trips some people up
1: mm-hmm. but
0: as an influential woman what is it that you would say for any advice to those listening who may need to hear your voice out of that To help them out of the pit and just rise up right now out of some challenging circumstances that they're finding themselves in.
1: I hope and pray that somebody is connected to you, that you have a person, if not people, but at least a person and rely on them and Don't worry about burdening them with all of your stuff because right now there's a lot of your stuff maybe in the relationship that you're giving. But all of my best girlfriends, my connections, sometimes it's my junk and then in three months it's going to be your junk. And that's what (laughs) we just deal with at each time. And so rely on the people that you have. Um, Sometimes we don't have those people because sometimes we've pushed them away or they've hurt us. And we take a risk and start to, you know, join a group or join something that maybe you can meet and create a new connection and, you know, form those new bonds with with people that are more like-minded with you. That's
0: awesome. And I appreciate that i think it's a great way for us to end because one of the most important parts of the mission of this podcast is to create and empower a community and so if those words spoke to you you're in the right spot ladies Mm -hmm. uh, or gentlemen whoever happens to be listening today all right well that is (laughs) it so thank you for providing um an inspiring interview mrs Myers. thank you thank you for listening to today's episode of the in awe podcast We rise by lifting others, so please consider amplifying this story by subscribing to the In Awe Podcast and by rating and sharing this episode so masses can be in awe of our guest.